Hi, everybody. In this episode, I'm speaking with Celia Sandea Daniels. And Celia is a trans woman, father, and husband. Celia shared so many personal stories in this episode, so I do want to provide a trigger warning. This episode does deal with rape, and so I want to make sure you're safe. If you are able to continue on and listen to the episode, Celia was so vulnerable and shared so many insights into her life and how change and acceptance starts from the bathroom to the boardroom. We discussed so many things and I learned a lot and I think that there might be teachings for me. So if there's something that I missed or I'm saying incorrectly or there are call-ins that you can provide me, please do so by contacting me. You can always find me at the Inclusive Screenwriter on Instagram. So if this episode is safe for you, take a listen, leave a review, subscribe and share. You can always find out about me and what I do, again, at the Inclusive Screenwriter on Instagram. I'm also a anti-oppression and anti-racism educator and consultant. So if I can support you and you or your organization and you're really ready to go from intentionality to impact, feel free to go ahead and DM me. All right, folks, go ahead and take a listen. Thanks so much for being here. I do appreciate you all. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Inclusive Storytelling Podcast. Today, I am so, so happy to be speaking with Celia. So as always with my guests, I always know that they know more about themselves than I do. So Celia, welcome. I do want to let uh, our listeners know that uh, we'll be discussing sensitive content, having some conversation that may trigger folks. So just wanted to make sure that folks have an opportunity to tune out if they are, you know, if this is going to be something that's going to be something that's going to be uncomfortable for them. So thank you so much. Cecilia, will you just let us know a little bit about yourself and then we'll kind of jump in into your life and the intersection with the media industry. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Ash. Thank you so much for this wonderful platform. So my name is Celia Sandhya Daniels. I go by she, her pronouns and also they, them pronouns. I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a musician, I'm a parent, I am a songwriter, I'm a singer, I'm a hiker, blogger, you know, all kinds of wonderful, wonderful intersectionalities in my life. And I'm married to a beautiful woman and we've been married for almost uh, 23 years now. And I'm hoping to, you know, uh, spend the rest of my time with her and my grow old as we as we age together. But I have a wonderful family that's so blessed and I'm glad that I could do this podcast. So that's a little bit about me and I'm going to share a lot more during our podcast while we discuss some of these issues. Absolutely. So let's start at the beginning. I would love for for us to know more about you when you were growing up in India and let our, our listeners know a little bit more about you and you know some of the struggles you've had in your life. Yeah, absolutely. As always, uh, when we, uh, I'm an immigrant as well. So I have been living in India uh, since I was born and brought up in Chennai. That's the place that I live. It was interesting when I was a child, probably around four years old, I told my mom that I wanted to be a girl. I was dreaming to be a girl. And I remember the time I I was covering my head with my mom's sari and I was pretending to be a girl. My mom thought it was cute. And um, she said, oh, you're so cute. And they took pictures of me. Right, <laughs> but unfortunately, right. I don't remember any of those. It was all told by my parents and also mostly my mom and also my cousin sisters whom I was growing up with. And I always wore their uh, skirts. They had long skirts and I, I love being a feminine per, you know, person. Yeah. And that's how I grew up. But when I was in my se- when I was seven years old, I remember my mom telling me that you're a boy and you can't be wearing women's clothes. I know girls' clothes, and I, at probably I realized my gender at that early age, and I was thinking about, oh, I cannot wear uh, women's clothes because I'm a boy. I thought I could live in both genders. You know, that's how I, <laughs> I was assuming. Why not? <laughs> Why not yeah, have I know. it all? <laughs> it, that's how I thought, and then they said, no, you cannot live this way because um, being a boy is good. You know, you need to be a boy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, growing up in the early seventies in India, being a boy, being a man was a privilege. And I thought uh, if I tried to express my femininity 
it's probably going to cause me more issues because it's such a shame for a boy to express like a girl. And only hijras and the, uh, you know, the transgender community in India, they do that. But otherwise I've never seen um, a, you know, trans people anywhere else because they were not even portrayed in the media at the time. Yeah. Even when they were portrayed, the first time I remember watching Amitabh Bachchan doing Mere Angane Me song, there was one scene where he dresses like a hijra and he sings. At that time, I was so offended, you know, I was so offended at the time. Though was, I was a child, I was watching that and everyone was laughing. They thought it was so funny. To me, it was so powerful that it hit me. Oh my God, he's literally making fun of people like me. Um, maybe I cannot do this, you know, I, um, I cannot dress like this. And if I have to do it, then I'll probably be ridiculed in the community. Yeah. So yeah. I just suppressed my femininity and I learned to survive. And while I was growing up, I remember there was a time in my fourth, I probably in my fourth standard, probably not, I would say nine or 10 years old, my uncle molested me. And I, I lived in a time where I didn't expect that to happen. But I just blamed myself. I said, you know, probably it's because I look very feminine and maybe he did, did that to me. And uh, I just didn't want to talk about it to my parents, my, my mom, especially because it was my mom's brother. Yeah. I didn't want to talk about it because it was so hurtful. And I, I, I really liked him, you know, he was a nice uncle. And then when he did that to me, it was <clears throat> so demeaning. And um, I lost my... I would say I didn't know what to expect. And I, I just thought to myself that because I'm a different person and he did that. Just two years after that, my cousin brother did that to me. He was elder than me by six years or so. And uh, he molested me again. Uh, I mean, he molested me. I was molested again. And I was thinking to myself, what what's going on with my life? And I, I'm actually hurt so much deep inside and I can't even tell my parents about it because I was so much shameful about what, when it happened. And then they were just going about with the job, like pretending nothing happened. You know, they were just pretending like they were the same people and I could not. Yeah. I just- And you were young, you were so young. Yeah, I was a child, you know, when when these things happen and I, that's why I talk about it. So I went through a lot of trauma, first with my femininity and then when this abuse, and then on top of it, another layer of uh, religion where I, I grew up in a Christian home and for us, my dad was a Hindu and he became a Christian when he was in his youth. So in our family, well, only my parents were Christians, the rest of the family were all Hindus. So we were dealing with that also, that part of our intersectionality. And it was really hard to be in a family where you have hundred people in a family, all Hindus, and then suddenly my dad is only a Christian. So they can't tell anything to my dad. They were always telling me and my brother, you know, they were making fun of us. And so I, I, I was so uh, hurtful. And I also, I thought that just because I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm going to hell because the Bible says that people, when a boy dresses like yeah. a girl, he's going to help. Right. And right. Um, so there were a lot of layers of issues and trauma that I was going through, which I did not realize at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Then on top of it, in ninth grade, what I did was I really wanted to go out. So this is a time I said, I'm going out. I don't care. I want to be a, a girl and I want to go out. I don't care how, what the society thinks about me. So I just uh, wore a long skirt and a top. Uh, yes. I tied a scarf around my head like a hijab and I walked out. I was caught yep. by some security uh, folks in that, um, in, 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 in down our street. They caught hold of me and they asked me, where do you live and what are you doing here? And I didn't know what to tell them, but I just stood and I was kind of, I was scared. I remember at the time I thought they would let me go, but they started yelling at me and uh, probably eight to nine people stood around me. And then there were another 15 to 20 people all just standing and watching this man and a bunch of men standing around Mm -hmm. me and yelling, saying that, you know, you are such a disgrace. They use the most derogatory language in Tamil. And I was standing there thinking, won't you just let me go? I'm just a child, you know, I'm this little boy. I'm not doing anything. Why are you yelling at me? Yeah. And I was scared at the point because they were drunk and I didn't know if they would do something to me. They didn't touch me, fortunately. Yeah. But I could, I could, you know, they, was, they were breathing down my neck and they were really close to me. They were pretending they want to hit me. 
And they said, where's your father? Tell me, where's your father? And I was so scared and I was standing there. And um, now I remember that was basically public humiliation. That is the first process of beating up a trans person. And then they could do anything. They can pour kerosene on you, burn you. Um, they yes. would tie you up. They do all yeah. kinds of things to you. And since I was in a, you're living in a much more, uh, I would say in a, a better place or a colony where we had a much more security there, they couldn't do anything to me but they were trying to threaten me that you cannot come out like this. You cannot live like this. And we don't want to see people like you in our community here. Yeah. And that's the way they were um, pretend. I mean, they were threatening me. So I spoke in a, another accent, you know, Hindi accent, North Indian accent. And I uh, somehow ran away from that place. I, I caught hold of my skirt and I was running like, yeah, yeah. Running, you know, of course, for your life. back yeah. home. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, I came back home and that's the first time I felt like I, I cannot live because it's so hard for me to live in a community where I could not express myself. And this was in my ninth grade. Yeah, That's You're, the time oh, yeah. I felt like I was so afraid to live and I was also afraid to die. And I was trying to commit suicide at the time. And I didn't know how to die. And I wanted to die painlessly. I was trying to think of ways that I would you know, die painlessly. And the only thing that I knew was um, I had to choke myself. So I took a, a plastic bag and I put it on my neck and I tied it around my neck. And I also put my tied my hands behind my back because I didn't want to take it out. And um, and I was choking for you know probably two minutes. And um, at the time, I was gasping out of air and I was so scared that I could I could sense that I was I would die if it was a few more seconds I can die. Somehow I struggled and I pulled out my hand and I started taking the plastic bag out and I was crying so hard. I ran to the beach. I sat in the beach and I was crying because, and I was asking God saying that, God, why did you make me like this? I don't want to be a girl. Please change me. You know, yeah. it's so hard for me. Why are other boys are normal? Why can't I be like them? You know, and I was trying to pretend to not to be a girl because if you express the fact that you are a feminine boy in India, you can get bullied at school. You can be beaten in the community. You can be treated like you are a nobody. And I did not want that. And I did not want more on top of it. I didn't want my parents to take that shame. Yeah, I was okay with my my life, yeah. but I didn't want them to take a shame because my they lived in a very dignified uh, community. So that was my childhood. And I remember in my ninth grade, uh, my parents brought, bought a guitar and um, I started, uh, I didn't even want to go to the guitar class. So I just took the guitar and I started fiddling with it. I started playing some songs. I was playing Kenny Rogers. <laughs> that oh, that's time. fantastic. No, you got to no. learn, right? And what's out there at that time. Yeah. And Kenny I was Rogers. playing ABBA, Kenny Rogers. <laughs> I love it, ABBA. Those songs. I was just fiddling around and uh, there was a harmonium in our house too. Mm -hmm. it was, uh, it's like a harmonica, but you just played in the Indian style. And I was playing that and I was learning. And I just self-taught myself. And I felt my parents were always telling, you're actually good. You know, you can sing really well and I could carry a tune. So what I did was I wrote my first song in my 12th grade. I started writing a song and I just poured out my heart and I just wrote whatever came in my head. And it was, but I made it, made sure that it rhymed well. And as soon as I got to college, um, one of the ways that I could get over my, uh, my anxiety, my gender dysphoria, my sadness, and the thought of suicide, one of the things that kept me away from it was music. Mm -hmm. As soon as I got to college, um, I started my music band in college and I was good in singing. I was playing my guitar and I was on stage. I, I did Stevie Wonder. <laughs> so, Fantastic. Yeah, the part-time lover was the most high, you know, it's really <laughs> high and I was, I could belt it. I could really hit it. Right. I got lots of awards because um, my vocal was great. And I was, at the time I was very smooth and I could sing really well. And I was happy with my life, the way I was expressing on stage. And that kind of took, took off all these sorrows and the sadness that I was going through. Um, there were times in my life where I had um, also sung in front of uh, the prime minister at the time, Rajiv Gandhi. I have also sung in front of him. This was in Delhi. 
So our, our music group was selected to go and sing. So music wise, I was doing really well. Media wise, I was doing really well. And I was so much into it because to me, that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to act like a girl. I wanted to sing. I wanted to always be my myself. And the only way I could express my my trauma was in form of songs, in form of music. And I looked at the media at the time and every time they portrayed a gay person or a trans person, mm-hmm. it was always very demeaning to me. Yeah. It showed like a man with a mustache wearing a dress and running around and everyone was laughing. And my I was just turning around and looking at all my, my parents and my friends and uh, my neighbors when they were watching TV. They were so happy laughing at a man dressed like a woman. And I was just laughing along with them, but I, because I want, I didn't want them to, you know, suspect anything, but deep inside, I was thinking, I don't think I can really come out because they're going to laugh at me if I do that. And that's how my life was. My entire life was all about trauma and music. And I would say I was battling with my religion. I was battling with my own uh, guilt and shame. And I, I just said to myself, I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to postpone it. I'm not going to be a woman. I'm going to try as much as possible not to, not to dress like a girl or be like a girl. I don't want it to want it to happen. And, and I, I, I <laughs> yeah. thank you. I know I thank you for that. And I appreciate you sharing. And I wanted to give you time to talk to us because oh. it's important. And I think, you know, as an advocate with the work that you're doing for you to be as brave as you are to come out, I thank you for sharing your story. And I know it, it, it's not the happiest of stories. Uh, but I do think, you know, for our listeners, people need to know and you're hitting on so much. Um, you know, first, you know, you grew up in India and this, the trauma and the shame that was put on you. Uh, you knew who you were at four, you know, and maybe even before that, but you were able to express at four. It's who you are. And now we fast forward 18, 20 years and, you, you know, you have to express yourself through music, but you're not able to just be who you are uh, for fear of the family, uh, of the society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're talking about India. And so it's, it's unfortunate because it's the same in the United Kingdom, it's in Canada and the United States. And, and it's just, I'm in a space where it's like, we, we need people like you who are willing to put their voices out there to be able to tell us what they go through and how universal this is. But I think on the flip side of the trauma and the hurt, there's also should be much more of love and caring for each other and acceptance. And if we can move through that, then your music becomes something also as as more of a healing, but also as a, a power of truth and source that takes on to the next level, um, which, and you already have your music and it is very beautiful and it's very powerful. Uh, now imagine if it was clouded with acceptance and love, <laughs> where we could go in this world. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you as, as like you said, when, I have a question, when you were growing up, were there others like you that you found out about or were around or were you the only one that you knew of that really liked to be more feminine? I think when I was growing up, I probably thought I was the only person in my entire school of thousands of children who were like me, I mean, not like me. And I thought I was the only person born with an abnormality and that's why I was, I couldn't see anyone like me, you know, anyone. And even if I would see a boy who was thin and probably feminine looking, yeah, I thought it's just the way he is, but I didn't relate that to being transgender. Mm-hmm. Because to me, the biggest confusion I had was I was attracted to girls and I was, I wanted to be a girl too. Yeah. So I couldn't relate to being a gay boy because I was not interested in boys. And that was a part of my confusion as well. But the only time I I actually saw people like me was in the train. I was going to Hyderabad once. And I remember there were two hijras who got into our train compartment and everybody in the train wanted them to get out. They literally pulled out their footwear and they wanted to beat them with it. And I was standing there and looking at him thinking, oh my God, if I come out, this is what is going to happen to me. And they look very, very nice. You know, they look so 
beautiful in the sari and they were yeah. so bold and i was thinking to myself i am exactly like you but i don't want to yeah. be you yeah I the am, threat of violence the threat I, of violence yeah i would get beaten and i already i have gone through so much in my life but i don't want to be you and that's how i grew up yeah so media well, the only place <laughs> i saw trans people yeah not portrayed well and even in life situations i saw only the transgender community that was portrayed in such an insignificant way you were the bottom of the food chain yeah so yeah. that is the kind of community i grew up in in india so there was no chance for a person like me to survive uh, either in school or in college or in a workplace yeah and you know the sad thing is is that I, i i can't say that we have made great strides in true representation of trans folks in our media and this is where we make change right in these type mm -hmm. of conversations i i i want to talk a little bit more about now you know you talked about when you were in college you were able to embrace um music and it was a form of healing for you um how did you know when you were able to take all this on was it truly a release was it more helpful or was it temporary in terms of the relief your expression and music gave you as you were in college when i was listening to um and that's a great point when i was listening to songs from boy george and everyone said this guy is gay and i was thinking to myself that i can relate to you probably 50% because you're gay and i think i i really love you i like your songs Me uh, you too. know kama kaliyan <laughs> oh my gosh songs. i grew yeah. up and, to that um, song yep a lot of musicians even um, i would say when i was listening to david bowie Mm-hmm. When I was listening to Prince at the time, um, Purple Rain, and a lot of the albums, they were very queer, you know, in their in music. They were not expressing. I didn't see a man being a woman. You know, that's that's not what I saw. I was seeing a person kind of embellishing who they are and being extravagant, like Prince and Boy George. You know, Boy George looked like a girl when he when um, they put put on the makeup and all that, but I could not really. relate to boy george too, because to me it was i wanted to be a girl and um, boy george yeah. wanted to express the way he, he, they wanted to mm -hmm. so i didn't see that as a big thing but at the same time music was always i would say it was the soul something that hit my soul when it's soul searching when it gives you joy yeah. not happiness there is a difference between joy and happiness because joy is something that is like deep within you happiness could be like yeah hey, i'm very happy today and i'm 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 going to have a coffee you know it makes me very happy um and i everyone is happy and you know it was sure, it was a very sure. different expression i would say more of a peace that i had i could relate to it and i found that peace especially i remember going to the beach and sitting there i used to take a book and write some song i would write about god and i always wrote songs about guilt and shame mm. how god was still loving to me because i knew man would never man in the sense mankind would never be compassionate to me humans human beings, human beings. unfortunately yeah <laughs> so the only way i would probably be because if god had made me this way then i i wanted to write to god saying that in form of a song saying that god you made me this way why can't you be loving to me you made me this way and then you're judging me why is it you know what are you trying to do sure you yeah. make people like me you know i that's how i wrote my songs and most of my songs were all guilt filled and even in that i was looking for hope so uh, to answer to your question i was looking for hope in my songs and i i wrote more than 30 40 songs all about christianity all about god in a very unique way and if people read the lyrics of the song it was very deep because it had a lot of hurt in it and a lot of times the i was the only person who knew what i was going through yes and i remember i used to listen to europe at the time and music was like and that's the time the rock music came in and so <laughs> there were and yeah. i love van halen's uh, stairway to heaven i learned the whole sequence and i played all that and i used to love the vocals of the the range that deep purple had Mm -hmm. and van helen's guitaring and everything i was like this is what i want to do and yes. to me, uh, music was like um, an absolute i would say the closest release of my expression it could be feminine or whatever but to me it was like 
this was a queer expression at the time. I was getting into that queer part of my life where I could just express that that vocals were so feminine. You know, most of the the voices were a very feminine, high range. And I really wanted to sing like that. And I could actually, at the time I could really hit those notes. And um, so to me, it was so personal at the time. And I didn't have too much of media. We watched um, probably some videos uh, here and there and they played, um, I remember Live Aid when- um, Right, when Freddie Queen, Mercury and Queen. Right, when, oh, and, when Freddie Mercury yeah. was performing, I remember seeing that live. It was related on the TV and um, a lot of places. And to me, music was like the closest to my expression, you know, closest to my queerness. So I would say that. <laughs> well, I love what you're saying. And I will, you know, the word androgynous, mm -hmm. I really manifested in my lifetime. And so I mm -hmm. want to be sensitive to and androgynous uh, prior to the 80s. But I agree in the music, you know, like you're saying, Bowie, Prince, uh, Boy George, uh, Freddie Mercury and that flamboyance, but mm -hmm. it was music, it was part of their brand and also who they were. Uh, you look at Madonna at the same mm -hmm. time, and she wore a suit and that was, you know, oh, she's gender bending. And so it, in these time and places, it's okay, but for it to be just who you are and to live in this world, it's still not where it needs to be of true acceptance of people. But it's interesting how it's displayed in music. It is very celebrated or it was celebrated. But then if you go to a movie, like you were saying, with the Bollywood movies or even in Hollywood today, the representation is not there. And I have a, another friend who is trans and we were discussing this uh, earlier this summer where it is the stereotypes that are perpetuated in media uh, about trans folks uh, is that, you know, they're, they hate each other and they hate themselves. And that's all we really see. And, it, and that's all, and that's all we get. So when we are bombarded with these images, we just think that this is what a group is, or we think, or we have an idea, subconscious or conscious, and we have to kind of unravel it. And I think about children, but then you have, you know, the celebrations and we still do um, these celebrations in the music. So I, you know, that's a lot to dig. We're not going to solve for it, but it's, a, it's an observation I have. And I also think about Robbie Williams and from Take That. And I remember I was a teenager and he was in one of the videos and he walked in shaved head with a skirt on, and, you know, and I was celebrating and I loved it. Um, but, you know, you don't see that as much. And so it, it, it's very interesting, everything that you're saying in this continuation. And I, for one, I'm very glad that you're here, Celia, and I appreciate you. I want to, I want to fast forward a little bit now. And I want to think about you know, where you are now and fill, fill our listeners in and what happened after college. But I think where I want, where I want to go with our conversation, because it's so, it's so pivotal and it's so, uh, you so many gems are here. You know, what would you want for things to be different uh, for somebody like you, for folks with children like you, for children that are growing up, maybe some teenagers or tweens, as we call them in North America, they're growing up right now. What would you want to see different so that they are feel like they're accepted within their homes and also getting bombarded with images of love and acceptance for who they are versus your experience? Thank you, um, Ash. I think it's important to educate the parents. There's always a stereotypical world that we live in, you know, where people are boxed in these small categories. Now, I saw, you know, growing up in India, uh, the music was a little more wide because we could listen to music from America, from Australia, yeah. like Air Supply, and then we could listen to music from Europe, uh, from China as well and other countries. So there was, a, there was, I would say a lot of MTV was there at the time. We saw MTV, I watched MTV, and I felt like music kind of pushed the boundaries, which the movie industry did not. Mm -hmm. The movie industry- I would agree was, with that. I would agree with that, yeah. Right. The movie industry was just catching up on a few things and there were just a few scenes where they would introduce a trans character, or it, but it was always portrayed in a very derogatory way. You know, drag queens, someone just trying to be a girl and running around in the dorm, um, and a gay person always yes. portrayed as a very flamboyant and always, you know, they had a very typical way of talking. It, it, they are not that way. You know, they were, that's how the media wanted to portray the LGBTQ community. And to me, that was really important. So I think I didn't want to be boxed into these. And 
And that's why to me, when I came out, the first thing, if I had told someone that I want to be, I want to be different. And I didn't know where I was getting into those boxes because when I came out as trans, I remember uh, in this country, I came to this country in 97 and I didn't know where to fit myself in because when I came out, it was either you're a cross-dresser or you're a transsexual. Yes. And we were living in a different world where the movie media industry was talking about transsexuals and they were always called transsexuals. There was nothing like transgender. And then they would just say, this is a man in a dress who are cross-dressers. And there's a movie called Just Like a Woman uh, it's a beautiful movie about a cross-dresser who is coming out, but he's thrown out of his um, relationship with his girlfriend because she thinks that she, he is cheating on him. But it's oh, a beautiful, wow. it's a comedy movie actually. But I saw that movie, which was very fun. But to me, it was serious because I could not relate to any, either of these uh, boundaries. You know, I didn't want to have a sex. At the time, uh, at the time they called it as a sex uh, SRS, mm -hmm. which is uh, sex replacement surgery. Yes. Now it is not, uh -huh. and now it's, you know, the science has improved so much where people now they call it gender reassignment surgery because you're dealing with a gender identity, not with a sexual orientation issue. Yes. So the lack of education is what is a biggest, I would say the biggest, biggest, biggest problem in our country. And when the media industry cannot portray trans people in the right way, in any media, I would say, not even in the movies, let's take even in the media, people who get killed. Oh, there was a drag queen who got killed. There was a man dressed like a woman who got killed. Yes. How they call you. And I remember even after so many years when I went back to India and I was telling my story in times of India and I told them that do not call me trans, you know, I am a trans person and you want to use the right terminologies. I yes. educated them. And even after I did that, when my story came out, they said Daniels is, uh, is, is married, Daniels' wife and a child, but Daniels is a transsexual. And Daniels has uh, now celiac. And then they started she from there. And, and it was oh, no. very um, derogatory. And I told my friend, why is this happening? You know, after I educated the media so much, this is just two years back, I'm talking about, not even like, you know, way back, yeah. two years back, in, a, in Coimbatore. And I told um, my, I was asking my friend and my friend uh, Kalki Subramaniam, she's a big trans activist in India. She said, Celia, the biggest problem in India we have is media sensitization. People don't understand. They just want to write whatever is appealing to the audience. So even if you tell them the whole story that you're a non-op transgender, they will never consider you that way. The word transgender is something that people don't want to use. Transsexual is what they used to. So to me, that was a big no-no because I'm not a transsexual. Um, and when you're, and I, I, I had to educate myself too. I think parents need to know when the children come out and they have different expressions, they need to understand why my child is behaving differently. What, what avenues do I have? What kind of... Um, support system do I have? And where do I go? Where do I start? If my child comes on and says, mom, I want to wear a skirt. Or it's much more easier for girls to wear a jeans and then say, you know, I want to be a boy. It's totally they, fine. Yeah, you're a tomboy. You know, you're cool. Right. And right. The parents think exactly. that's nice. But it's totally the, when you're living in a patriarchal community, you know, especially in India, it's a big no-no. You know, a man cannot come out as a woman. It's a big no-no. A woman can express however she wants to. And that's what bothered me because I was looking at all these pretty dresses. When I go to India, I see all this amazing clothing and colors and- And the saris and, just, and the lenga suits and the pajamas. I know, I, yeah. I like, oh my God, I want to wear every damn thing. I want to <laughs> Yes, exactly. Well, I, you and know, I and, <laughs> as you should, and I have struggled with exactly what you've said uh, when I was introduced to this concept and it was a huge aha moment for me, I don't know, like 25 years ago or something a very long time ago was like, yeah, when a woman or woman identifying person wears jeans or flannel, oh, it's okay. Or yeah, exactly what you said, a tomboy, uh, or it's a phase or they just like to dress it, but it's acceptable. Mm 
but a man wears a skirt, a man identifying person wears a skirt and everybody just kind of loses themselves for no reason. Mm-hmm. But it should, and I, and I will agree, I like women's fashion. I, like, I would rather wear women's clothing than mm-hmm. men's clothing typically in the North America. Cause you know, I really don't want to choose between black, blue and white. Um, I like many colors on, mm-hmm. on it where I am. I think to ground us just a little bit, I would love for for you to educate our listeners on the difference between transgender, transsexual, and cross-dressers. You know, I would definitely want this to be educational and you're an educator. I think that as we talk about the support that people have, giving them these words and helping them understand it may help them as they learn um, about what it means to be part of this community in ways that we can support this community. Yeah, absolutely. I would, um, I, I want to just give you a quick uh, introduction. So I got married in India. Yeah. I married this beautiful girl. And I thought to myself that if I get married to a girl and, yeah. um, and she is beautiful and she's going to wear all these beautiful clothes, it's going to take away my femininity. I don't know what kind of myth it was. <laughs> the things we say to ourselves, right? Yeah, you know, because nobody <laughs> tells you anything. You can't talk to even my friends, my close friends, I couldn't tell in India. And I was not, uh, you know, I was working in one of the most prestigious institutes in India. It is called Indian Institute of Science. Mm -hmm. And I was working on crystallography and human genome project. I mean, education wise, I was really, um, I did well. You know, I I studied well. I got my master's in computer science and I was working in this research institute, which is great. And even there, I didn't, I saw people were so ignorant when it comes to trans community you know it's probably a topic that people it's like the elephant in the room every time when you're in a discussion wherever it is but they are just they don't give importance to it because it's like "Ah, i don't care because they don't see a lot of them coming out you know people don't come out in india it's not that common because if you come out you're going to lose everything you're going to lose your privilege as a man (laughs) Great. Who is, wants that? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, I want <laughs> respect. Uh, so to me, it was, yeah. I was so scared because I was worried about a lot of things and would, um, you know, what if people just say that this man is actually trying to be a girl and why are you getting him married? You know, all this kind of co- concepts. Sure. I was so, I was so sure. confused. So I got married um, to this beautiful lady and uh, I was really attracted to her and I'm still attracted to her. Let me put it that way. And I'm yeah. not attracted to men. Um, so we got married and I uh, I came to this country because um, this country needed me. It's not because I was looking for a job. I, I was working <laughs> in JP Morgan Chase. And I always correct that because I didn't come here seeking for a job. I was doing really well in India. And my wife was working in Nielsen Media. I was working in Dun & Bradstreet. So we had a great job. This country needed me and I came here to New York. Uh, they needed my expertise. So I came here and I was working in one of the uh, firms in, uh, in Wall Street and JP Morgan Chase at the time. So I remember even there, I was struggling a lot and I didn't know. And I, uh, you know, long story short, I became to this country, we started our life, I had a child and then I was going through the same problem that I had while I was a child. And I was thinking right. to myself, oh my God, I thought this is going to go away. I'm married now, I have a child and why am I still doing this? Right. I'm a successful businessman, but here I am going through the same problem. So how do I tell my wife? So four years after I got married, that's the first time I'm going to my wife and I'm telling her, and this was in Florida. Can you imagine? I don't know. I told no. my wife, sweetheart, I like wearing women's clothes. And I I think I, I like wearing women's clothes. And my wife said, oh, there are a lot of men who do it. So don't do it. You know, don't do it. You're in a, such a prestigious job. You're an executive mm-hmm. in a company. Yes. Don't do that thing, kind of things because this is, it's going to cause more problems to you. And I, I believed her and I, it, it was the right advice she gave me. And I thought, okay, I'll try not to do it, but I, it's not that I want to do it or it's not an addiction, but this is something that I don't know how to deal with. So I called a gay counselor and I asked him, hey, can you tell me what is going on with me? And he said, you're gay, you're a feminine gay. And I thought maybe I'm like boy George. Sure. Oh. Right. I want you would never identify, but you never identify with boy George. Yeah, I I was thinking to myself, but I want to be a girl. I want to wear a dress and I want to be like an Indian girl. You know, I want to wear half sari. I want to be a sari kind of girl. But how can I live my life like this? And I'm living in Florida. And that's what I get from people. And I didn't know what to do. So I started educating myself and I started reading articles. 
And these are not, at the time, you can't just Google and find things out because you get <laughs> all kinds there? of nonsense at, in, in the internet at the time. Mm-hmm. But what I did was I started reading research articles. I started reading articles where uh, from Stanford, from uh, John Hopkins, from Harvard Medical, um, a lot of the articles I was reading as to why is a man trying to behave like a woman? Is there any medical condition to it? What is it called? I started reading and reading and reading a lot of articles because I, I was doing a search about my life. Why am I different? If I can find out the reason why I am different, I can help people who are like me. So when I started reading, the first thing I found was people like me are called transgender. Then I said, no, I'm not a transgender. Then I then it the, 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 the terminology really hit me because there are only two kinds of gender in, in this world. It's like transgender or cisgender. Mm-hmm. So if you're, a, and then there's an agender where yes. people are born with two uh, organs, you know, that uh, both male and female organs, they're called mm-hmm. agender, or sorry, intersex, they're called intersex. intersex. Yeah. And they're, 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 a lot of people are in that category too. So there are three types of people in this world. And um, so I didn't identify with a cisgender because if you, if you identify in the gender you're born, you're called a cisgender, it's called CIS gender. And I didn't identify in that because I was born as a man and I wanted to be a woman. Uh, but I also did not hate being a man. You know, there was a little part of me that said, okay, I'm not going to hate who I am, but I don't want to operate on myself because there's so much of complication. You know, it's completely changing your anatomy. It's going to be really hard. And I said, I can I live without changing myself? Is it possible? Can I medically transition? I mean, can I socially transition? And all these thoughts were hitting me. But unfortunately, at the time, the medical community said, if a man wakes up one day and says, you know, I think I was, I wanted, always wanted to be a girl, then the only, only op- option they have is they, they have to change their gender. So they have to go through medical transition. And I was, I was thinking at the time, no, no, it's not, I don't want to go through that. I, I like who I am. I'm not going to hate my male gender, but I really love my feminine gender. Can I live as a woman in this world? Um, can I still be married? Can I be still be a father? Not a mother, because I know I want to be a father for my daughter. My daughter yes. misses a father. She has a mother already. So I was battling with my family issues at this time. I was battling with a lot of professional issues and I was battling with personal issues. I was battling with, uh, I would say, a lot of issues in my faith and my religion too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these things were just weighing me down. And I knew at the time that what I was going through was called gender dysphoria. You're born in a gender, but you your preferred gender is a feminine gender. So I was born as a man and my preferred gender is a feminine gender. So that is called, and then you switch between gender and that's when your gender dysphoria comes. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, a lot of people go through that. So within the transgender spectrum, so I, I really, first thing was I realized that I was transgender. And within the transgender spectrum, there are three. It's called non-opt transgender, pre-op transgender, and post-op transgender. Post-op transgender are people who have taken hormones, they're medically transitioned. Pre-op transgender folks are probably getting ready to transition or they may not even take transition medically. They may just socially, um, you know, be be who who they are. They may probably do a top surgery. They may not do a bottom surgery. So a lot of uh, trans men do that today. You know, they don't go through a lot of process of uh, changing their anatomy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's mostly the, you know, they take off the breasts and all that. And uh, that's how I've seen a lot of uh, trans folks having just breasts, but still, you know, having, they have not done the bottom surgery. So I identify as a non-op transgender where a person like me doesn't want to take hormones or anything because they, they, they just want to blend in into whatever gender that they like to. Mm-hmm. And that's why I consider myself as a non-op transgender and a gender fluid person, because there is a 10% of my life, I still live as Daniel. Uh, Daniels, and then there is a part of me that, like, ninety percent of my life, I still uh, I live as Celia, and sometimes I like to explore my gender as a gender neutral person too. That is, I go by they them pronouns. Sometimes I uh, I um, you know I, I have a wig. I don't want to put on makeup, but I wear something else, very feminine, very androgynous looking, um, you know, dressing too. So that is the way in which the 
the categories are. So it's cisgender, transgender. And then there are folks who are in the gender non-binary. They don't identify as male or female. They identify as they, them. And I like to be as a gender non-binary as well. So 27% of the children today of the youth in California identify as gender non-binary. And if you imagine only in California, 27% across the world, there are a lot of people. A lot of people. Who are probably expressing in whatever gender that they like to. And that's how it should be. And even within the LGBTQ spectrum, you cannot say that you are gay, you are this one or you're that. People might be different. Even within the trans community, even within the transgender spectrum, there are people who are very different. Because if you take the androgynous part, uh, folks, right, the ones who are intersex, they have been born with two organs, you know, both male and female organs. And the yes. parents have to decide for the children because the doctor says you've got to pick a gender. And if you watch Katie Couric's um, National Geography about gender revolution, there's a beautiful article that you will know that there are people. The intersex community is as equivalent as a woman who has a brunette or a you know red hair. Mm-hmm. So there are so many people today in this world who identify as intersex. And I have a friend, very good friend of mine who's also an intersex. And um, uh, their story is so hard to hear because they were so confused and they were kicked out of their um, being a professor from a college to having a doctorate and still Horrible. getting kicked out because your gender. So I'll just pause here and I, I know you have a lot of questions, but I, I hope uh, that was clear in terms of, um, you know, those categories of gender that we're going through. Yeah, no, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, what, I, what I've learned over the years, and it becomes more and more nuanced as we learn, which is fantastic, is that you have cro- uh, what we used to call cross-dressers, it almost feels like a derogatory term, you know, because it's gender, which is the male-female that is socially assigned, and then there's the sex, male-female, that is uh, biological, and we've been living in this duality and really ignoring, erasing the folks that are definitely in between for far too long. But now hopefully people are starting to realize that this duality, it doesn't exist. It, it can be changed. And I feel like you're such a living example of this. I mean, let's recap you. You know, you knew at four years old, um, you were born a boy, but you knew you liked women's clothing. And then of course, the horrible things that happened to you as a child, coming through growing up trying to figure out who you were and knowing that you liked your body you liked being being with the sex you were but you knew that gender wise you uh, really enjoyed more feminine clothing the makeup the earrings Uh, fast forward now you're like well let me take my place in society as a man and a privileged man get married but you know but even decades later as your daughter grows and as you are living you're realizing that even marriage hasn't changed that um how you feel when you were four and i and i that's definitely been an experience for me from the folks that i know is it never stopped it never ended and i my sincere hope is that folks really do embrace who they are and now here you are identifying as a married man you want to be a father and you love feminine clothing and you embrace that and you have your pronouns of she her you go by Celia like you said 90 percent, and 10 percent of the time it's Daniels because that's just who you are and that's your expression I love it (laughs) I think it's absolutely fantastic I appreciate your education Um, I think people need to know more and and one thing that also really struck me in this last piece when we were talking is that, you know, you go to a gay counselor and you don't get the support you need. And I, I think it's so important right now that we have folks that are trans and are, are appealers and folks are getting um, the education that they need to support trans folks. Uh, but what's really important, just like in the Indian community, is we need other Indian counselors to help us understand our experience and our Indianness and living as an immigrant or living as a first generation. Same way, our children and folks that are in the 20s, 30s, even 70s today need somebody they can identify with as a mental health professional too, so they can get the support they need to really live the lives that they want to live and be happy. And you know what's underlying, and I think it is still today for you, is your music and that intersection and where you're able to express yourself, but unfortunately media still hasn't caught up. 
Like, can I capture that all? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Um, you 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 expressed it uh, in the right way. One one thing that I also want to mention is uh, I didn't identify as a crossdresser, though I was crossdressing. To me, is an inward expression of what you're going through. Mm-hmm. It's an outward expression of what you're going through internally. Um, because women are always crossdressing. If you're if you're talking about it, right? Wonderful you, point. You Wonderful and, point. But women, uh, men, uh, when you wear something which is not accepted by the society, then it becomes cross-dressing. But for women, it is not. Now that is that's why the word cross-dressing comes from the word called transvestites. Mm-hmm. Transvestites were basically people wearing um, people of other gender wearing different clothing, and that's why it was called cross-dressing. A man wearing women's clothing, women wearing um, a man's clothing. And to me, it doesn't make sense when you look at a cross-cultural um, relationship. If I wear a veshti, which is um, more like a kurta uh, in in US, I would be called a cross-dresser. And that's a blouse. Because... Kurta is a blouse. Right. Exactly. Kurta is more like, a, I would say, uh, kurta is more like a long a churidar kind of thing. You know, it's a long shirt, which is probably till your knees. And yes. uh, that's very common in uh, in the Asian culture, you know, South Asian culture. Pakistanis wear that. Afghanistan folks wear that. People in the Mughal, Muslim culture, they wear that. Even in um, Southern India, they wear that. Now, and that is very common. When I first wore that in Florida, people were looking at me like, what are you wearing? <laughs> You know, so because to, to them, it was very different and they're trying to understand other cultures too. If I go to Scotland, if I see a man wearing a skirt, to me, it'd be like, hey, you're wearing a skirt. I don't care what you're doing, but you're wearing a skirt and you're cross-dressing. No, it is wrong, actually. Mm-hmm. Because that's why we need to travel and see different cultures. And there are lungis, you know, lungis and uh, veshtis. These are very common uh, outfits that Indian men wear in India and it's such a prestigious outfit. And when they wear that, um, when people over here, when they look at it, they'll say, you're just wearing something like a skirt. You know, you're wearing yeah. a sarong. Right. Not. And that's not the case at all. That's not the case. So the cross-dressing has a very confused, uh, I would say a very confused uh, connotation to it. And I don't identify as a cross-dresser, though I started thinking that I was a cross-dresser. And then I came to this point where I'm not a cross-dresser, I'm not a transsexual, but I'm a person who is doesn't identify in the gender that I was born. And that's why I'm a transgender. It was very simple terminology, a very simple understanding. American journals had written that beautifully. And a lot of them have, they are still updating their journals even today because they said gender non-binary is actually an issue. It is a mental illness. Now they have taken it out. Gender dysphoria is a mental illness. Now they're taking it out of this. It's not, yeah. are realizing that CDC is realizing that these are issues where they had not, uh, I would say, not given too much of thought to it. So well, um, it's a confirmation. Uh, 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 we're trying to confirm, conform to society, and that's just not the case. Again, it's we've put ourselves in general into these dualities, and there's no reason for us to live in these dualities. In US, it's very clear, right? Men always wear brown, blue, or um, black clothing mm-hmm. and the women are always choosing the colorful choices. And um, so there's always a color distinction and there's always uh, something which is related to it, you know, like beer and uh, watching baseball. That's the kind of, that's where you're man, you know, they kind of have these cars and bikes and <laughs> right. that's how it is. And women are more into lipstick and heels and no, actually, it is not. I mean, anyone not. can be in any of these categories. It's not exactly, and how they express themselves, right. and and I think we definitely are, like you're saying, the more nuanced with these words, the dysphoria and uh, gender non-binary, uh, the pronouns so much better than it was 30 years ago, for mm-hmm. sure. Definitely much better than it was 40 years ago, but the acceptance um, is big. And, you know, and I, for me, uh, and I hope people educate me, you know, is cross-dresser just, you know, is it the derogatory word? I think it is. Um, and I look forward to people educating me. But what's important is what you've been harping on this entire time is that this duality and how we choose to live in it or not and how we can move forward. And as we embrace and learn, we can see that we live not in these dualities. And I think it's so important with what you're doing. And my sincere hope is that through music, through the arts, we can see more of folks just like you, 
like you said, the transsexuals, people that are gender non-binary, being able to see just the plethora of expression in all societies. That is my sincere hope. Um, and Celia, thank you. One thing that I want to ask as we kind of end our conversation today is if you had one call to action, and I know this might be hard to choose, for us to be more inclusive in our lives, what would you want us to do? The, um, <clears throat> I usually say this is being an ally for the community as um, A-L-L-I-E-S, allies, right? So A is first is acknowledging your privilege that you are who you are, um, especially for people like yourself, you know, you are, you are, you need to acknowledge your privilege as to you're not trans, but you have the ability to help people like us. So that is acknowledging your privilege as to who you are. Then you have to listen. Mm -hmm. And um, the third one, third uh, L is, uh, the second L is uh, learn to unlearn a lot of things because there's a lot of unlearning that needs to be done. And also I is basically for instigate tough conversations in the industry that you are in, in the media industry, instigate those conversations because it's not about just giving an award to a movie that is just a trans representation, but there are a lot of people who are hiding today. Yes. So instigating the tough conversations is important. Ease education, you know, you need to educate even in the media industry. I have read a lot of scripts from different movie industries. Uh, two executive producers had asked me to look at some of the scripts and uh, give my input to it. Mm -hmm. So I've done that. And the last one is S. So S means you have to support the trans community by getting involved with what they're doing. And, uh, you know, if you want to make a movie for the where you have a trans character, then you need to educate the crew also when you're working with them. Yes, yes. Um, especially when you're a script writer, the, the crew. Um, I remember the transparent um, with Jeffrey Tambor, what Jill Solvay had done. She had educated the entire, they had educated the entire crew and the, the folks that they got involved where a lot of opportunities were given to the trans community. And I did not get a chance to act, but a lot of my friends were in that in the show. And I was really happy that they did a great job, except for the scandal that came up and it completely destroyed the whole uh, show. No. But it was, um, it was made really well. And I think that if we want to change, the media has the power to do it. I and agree. The movie, uh, I think when you are looking at all the movies, the, especially when you have uh, the Wonder Woman, and recently there was um, a lot of trans people who are given roles in those movies. I remember one of my friend who is a producer, he made a movie about a gender fluid person. And I told him, what if Brad, um, uh, what if you get a chance to have a very famous actor act the role of a trans person today in your movie, if they're willing to do it, um, you know, what would you do? And then he said, um, Celia, after, you know, I've, I've been, I've known you for many years. And one thing that I learned is when you are making a movie about a trans person, you may probably not even have a famous actor doing it, but if you have a trans person doing that role, there can nothing be more authentic than that. Exactly, I love that. That's exactly right. Use the people, you know, just like if you're gonna be doing something about Indian folks, well, ask Indian folks. Uh, exactly. And, and with trans folks, if you're gonna have a trans character, you know, like the, do you have a transparent person in the writer's room? Do you have them writing a spec script? Do you have, like you said, do you have a trans person who is getting paid and wants to be there to educate the crew, mm. right? That's how we learn, having these conversations, like you are teaching me. This is, this is where we need to, you know, get rid of any of those hesitations, defensiveness, and just embrace that. And exactly who else to tell the story? And in this case, another trans person. And I think what's important to note is that one person isn't going to speak for an entire community, but you need to educate yourself and speak to many people to learn about the variety of, of, of thoughts and conversations within a community and then do the best to represent. And you will find out if you fail or not. But what needs to happen is that you can say, I did my best, I spoke with a group of people, and this is the process. To me, I will forgive more if I know the process versus if somebody was like, no, we just had so-and-so right. And it's like, well, were they part of the community? No, well, then I can't take you seriously, you know? Mm -hmm. And I and you have done harm with your content. Mm -hmm. 
How can people get a hold of you and find out more about you, Celia? Yeah, absolutely. So I am uh, on LinkedIn. Um, you can search for Celia Sandhya Daniels or Celia San Daniels at um, gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at Celia Sandhya Daniels. I think I'm probably the only person with the Celia <laughs> and Sandhya in the middle. There are a lot of Celia Daniels in, in the world. Uh, the reason why I wanted to emphasize Sandhya is because that is one of my intersectionality, right? I'm an Indian person. Yeah. And so that is so important. I want to be known as uh, an immigrant, a brown person, a parent, a dad, a husband, a musician. I have also done some documentaries. Um, I've done so. I want to known. I want to be known through all these wonderful intersectionalities in life, not just as a trans person. Exactly. Even when we make a movie about a trans person, or when we make a movie about a person growing old, we want to put the right characters in. We give so much of importance to the importance to the movie and not all movies will be a blockbuster not all movies will get an oscar but when you can really make a difference in the community you know there when you make thousands of movies there's always one movie that probably is very thought provoking and it's not a documentary but it's actually a beautiful portrayal of a person's life one last thing that i wanted to talk about was about the recent which uh, harry potter you know J.K. Rowling. Rowling. I was a big fan of J.K. Rowling because of the content and the script that she wrote. And when she started becoming very transphobic, what happened is the arrogance started coming in. Mm. When the arrogance starts coming into media that, hey, no matter what I write, no matter what I do, and now that I have a say, I can do whatever I want. Now that is arrogance. Mm -hmm. When arrogance comes into into the media industry, especially when you're representing characters. And these are people's lives. It's not a lifestyle choice. I didn't choose this because it's a lifestyle choice. This is my life. Exactly. And I now, now my daughter is 20 years old. You know, when she was 15 years old, I came out to her. And I, I'm still married to a beautiful woman that I married 23 years back. We live together. The only way that I could help them is to keep on educating them constantly. Mm-hmm. And I have also been in sessions where we educated Warner Brothers, Sony Pictures, a lot of the crew and cast in that, I would say different sitcoms we have also educated and we continue to do as a part of TransCan work. Mm-hmm. I am an executive director and I'm on the executive board for, sorry, executive board for TransCan work. And this is what we do. You know, we educate a lot of the companies, the organizations, because we need to create a change right from the bathroom to the boardroom. Yes. Even in the boardroom, especially when you are in Warner Brothers or any other, you know, music, film industry, a lot of your board, if it's pure white folks and old white people like Fox News, you know, you saw the recent scandal that happened. Now you are not having diversity. When women are struggling to get to board, mm-hmm. trans people cannot. And that's right. why to me, I'm also an ally to the women community. Mm-hmm. I speak and help the women also to represent us. And that's another way I have done. Like my wife, she represented trans community in her office mm-hmm. when they had a conversation. Very simple conversations, very practical and very powerful conversations. I think we can change the world. These conversations are so important because we are not doing a groundbreaking talk here, but these are thought provoking. And these conversations are so important for directors, producers, scriptwriters, even cast and crew, cameramen too, the food um, caterers, folks, the catering, food. catering yeah. services to the backstage folks who are working. Yes. Everybody, when they know that there are trans people and they start working with you, we're just another human being like you. And uh, you know, we also have families, we have to feed our families. So we are just people who are looking for identity in the community as a human being. You know, we don't want something very special. So is it so hard for the media industry to even provide that? I think you can do better, right? That's why I think these conversations are so powerful, Ash. Thank you for, you know. <laughs> Thank you. I, you know, I won't, you, I won't put you on the spot to answer, but I feel like a part two and part three is coming up because I feel like we just got to the surface and we're like an hour in and we could go on for another couple of hours. But I love where you're ending this is humanity. And as a screenwriter, 
that's what we try to show in every single scene and as we build our characters can we have empathy and this is where it's so important that the voice of the people that you're trying to show this humanity about need to be part of the conversation or be the writer and that everybody from that script to that production to the red carpets to the reveals on netflix or your streamers everybody in that process needs the same education and be investing in that because what is really bothersome for me is in disclosure it's on netflix it's a wonderful um, documentary and it speaks to exactly what you've been saying where are the opportunities unfortunately when you have in media it's self-loathing uh characters instead of just i'm just trans and that's one part of me versus it's only me i'm only trans and i hate myself and if you continue to see that what's being perpetuated and you know and that could be one part of the trans story but we need to see vibrant trans people who are living all like you who are there are we seeing these characters are we seeing the comedic person who happens to be trans as well and if we could see that that plethora of that humanity, then the self-loathing becomes one instead of it being a character that we currently see. And I definitely want to put an end to that. Celia, you are amazing. I hope we continue to, well, we'll continue having conversations no matter what, but I hope you'll come back as a guest. Um, any final words to our listeners? Thank you so much, Ash. I think a lot of things are changing towards 2021. So there's so many LGBTQ folks who have been elected and I've seen a lot of uh, holiday stories which are LGBTQ related. Yes. Fact, my daughter yes. played one of the movies by Christian, um, Christian Stewart and not, I'm yes. sorry. Yes, yeah. yeah and Dan Levy's in there. I forgot her last name, I'm sorry. No. Um, you got it. Yeah, yeah. and it, it was great. And my, um, so you, it, it took some time even for my wife to really understand. But I think uh, when you, when you're willing to see the change, I, I see I see a lot of future and a hope for people and a great uh, way to start 2021 is to look towards the hope that we have, especially during pandemic. Um, it's been a lot of things going on, but thank you so much for this opportunity. I'll be more than happy to help um, music, I mean, uh, music producers and also the uh, executive producers who've been working with me uh, in certain areas where they've asked for my, as an I'd be happy to help in any way possible because uh, what you're doing is so important and thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you so much, Celia. I'm looking forward to more conversations. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.